Hello everybody, this is Dan Trotter, Pretty Good Bible Studies. In this audio, I will finish up 2 Peter 3, both the chapter and the book of 2 Peter. We're going to cover verses 14 through 18. I'm going to call this section, Exhortation for Stability. Or exhortations with the aim at getting his readers to be stable. Our context is this, in the first 13 verses of chapter 3, Peter has talked extensively extensively of the day of the Lord, the new heavens and the new earth, decreation, rhetoric, the earth's going to be burnt up. And there's a lot of eschatology in that passage. And I spent over an hour in the last podcast talking about all of that. And so these last five verses ought to be a lot easier by comparison. So we start in verse 14, 2 Peter 3. Therefore, dear friends, while you wait for these things, make every effort to be found at peace with him without spot or blemish. Why do you wait for what things? Well, the things I just mentioned, the day of the Lord, the new heavens and the new earth, for the earth to be burnt up or the elements to be burnt up. Now, of course, I went to great length to try to prove my view that this day of the Lord is 8070, the new heavens and the new earth is the new covenant, and the earth being burnt up is the heaven and earth of the Old Testament Jewish order. I pointed out that it wasn't just me that believed that minority opinion there was a lots of heavy hitting theologians who have also believed it in in the past but whatever you believe about these things as you wait for them to happen peter says you need to be found at peace with jesus without spot or blemish spot or blemish is the same words that are used in the description in his description of christ in first peter chapter 1 verse 19 the precious blood of christ like that of a lamb without defect or blemish christ is like a lamb without defect or blemish of course, you couldn't do that in the Old Testament. You couldn't offer a sacrifice with defect or blemish. So, of course, defects or spots and blemishes, that stands for our sins. And so Peter is saying, get rid of the sins in your life, which is perfectly understandable. That's what apostles are supposed to do, exhort us to holiness. Spots or blemishes will affect our standing at Judgment Day. 2 Corinthians 5.10, Paul says this, For we must all appear before the tribunal of Christ, so that each may be repaid for what he has done in the body, whether good or worthless. So you got a spot or blemish, you'll get repaid for that. So, whether we're saved, whether we're not, we will be judged at Judgment Day. Now that's true whether the Judgment Day that Paul's talking about here is at the end of the world in 87. I've been trying to say it's 87. And here's one more little indication that it's 8070. Peter tells his readers, why you wait for these things? Would an inspired apostle tell them to wait for something that wasn't going to happen for 2,000 plus years? I don't see that, but waiting for their deliverance from the persecuting Jews was going to happen within a decade or so of the time of the writing of this letter, less than a decade. That's reasonable to say that they could wait that long for these things. They could wait that long for the day of the Lord. They could wait that long for the final establishment of the new covenant, i.e. the new heavens and the new earth and so forth. So we go to verse 15 for 2 Peter 3. Also regard the patience of our Lord as an opportunity for salvation, just as our dear brother Paul has written to you according to the wisdom given to him. Now the patience of the Lord refers to the Lord's delay in judgment. Whether at 87 or at the end of the world, people were starting to mock. Jesus said he was coming back. He didn't come. Where is he? Now, of course, this when the people were mocking Peter's readers, and maybe Peter himself, because Jesus had not come back as he had promised in the Olivet Discourse. Peter said, the day of the Lord is like a thousand years. He says, yeah, 40 years, that's no big deal to God. He's coming back. Jesus is coming. He's going to judge you persecuting, scoffing, non-believing Jews. 
But the reason he hasn't come back, Peter said in the, in the previous section of this chapter, the reason that Jesus hasn't come back and destroyed you yet is because he wants to give you an opportunity for salvation because he is a God of grace. He wants you to get saved. Paul had the same problem in Romans 2, 4. He says this, or do you, or do you despise the riches of his kindness, restraint, and patience, not recognizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance? And, of course, what Paul's referring to here is God hasn't judged you yet. Why? Because you're innocent? No, you're not innocent. You're guilty of sin. But the reason he hasn't judged you yet, he wants to give you a time to repent so you can get saved. Likewise, Peter is saying here, look, you non-believers, you non-believing Jews, you haven't been destroyed yet in AD 70, so you have a chance to get saved. God is, is patient about destroying the present heavens and earth in order to establish the new heavens and earth. He's been very patient about not destroying Jerusalem and not destroying rabbinic Judaism. So that time that is going that is going by in which he has not executed, wreaked his his judgment on you yet, gives you non-believing Jews an opportunity to believe. Now, of course, one problem that someone might raise is, well, Paul's Peter is not writing to Jews in Jerusalem that are going to get destroyed. He's writing to Jews in the diaspora, as we know from the first verse of First Peter, and we assume Second Peter is written to the same audience. Well, that's true, but we need to remember that once Jerusalem goes down, the whole synagogue structure that is supported by Jerusalem, the whole rabbinic system of Judaism went down too. And so these persecuting Jews are going to be destroyed. In the synagogues, in the diaspora, they're going to be destroyed, maybe not physically and literally, and maybe not literally burn up like they were in Jerusalem, but they're going to be destroyed. So maybe you guys better get saved. And besides, Peter doesn't mention is an opportunity for salvation for the people he's writing to. He's just talking about the opportunity for salvation. He doesn't say for whom, and we can just assume for the people that are living in Jerusalem that are about to get destroyed. So regard the patience of our Lord in delaying his coming to judge Jerusalem as an opportunity for salvation for these unbelieving Jewish brothers of ours, just as our dear brother Paul has written to you according to the wisdom given to him. Dear Brother Paul, well, that sounds like Peter had gotten over Paul's castigating him for legalism at Antioch. You recall that story in Galatians 2, for example, in verse 11. But when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. That's when he refused to eat with the Gentiles because they were not clean according to the law. We see later that Paul was close to Peter. Just read the book of Acts, for example, the Jerusalem Council. He confirms their close relationship in his letters and the book of Acts according to the NIV Study Bible. I can't think off the top of my head where he said something nice about Peter in his letters, but off the top of my head in Acts, Paul obviously got along with Peter at the Jerusalem Council. Now, Paul had written to them, to these Jews in the diaspora, in a similar fashion as Peter had, because he says, regard the patience of the Lord as an opportunity for salvation, just as our dear brother Paul has written to you. Well, what has Paul written to these Jews in the diaspora? Well, we don't know. The NIV Bible study suggests it was the book of Romans that he had written to them. Gill denies that. So we don't know. It doesn't really matter. But we know that Paul has previously written to them about the patience of the Lord. Now, it could have been, if it's, if it's the book of Romans, in Romans 2, 4, he actually mentioned that. Or do you despise the riches of his kindness, restraint, and patience, not recognizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance? By the way, that verse is read out of context a lot. I know I've done this and, and think, well, God's very kind to me. Therefore, his kindness attracts me and I repent. 
But what he's talking about is God's delay in judging you. And that's the kindness that's being talked about, and that gives you a chance to repent. Okay, so if if, that, if it's Romans, and that's what Paul has written to them, that they need, need not to get hyper about the fact that Jesus still had not come to judge these rabbinic, persecuting, murderous Jews that had killed Jesus and the prophets. Notice that the wisdom that Paul had when he wrote was given to him. Peter says here in verse 15, he didn't learn it in the rabbinic schools. He learned it through revelation of Jesus Christ. We go now to verse 16, 2 Peter 3. He, as Paul, speaks about these things in all his letters in which there are some matters that are hard to understand. The untaught and unstable twist them to their own destruction, as they also do with the rest of the scriptures. Now, what things is Peter talking about? He speaks about these things in all his letters. Well, the NIV Study Bible suggests exhortations to holy living, living, because Paul writes a lot about that, just as Peter had done in this letter. For example, just in this same chapter, Second Peter 3, verses 11 through 14, Peter had said this, since all these things are be dissolved in this way, that's the elements, the legalism of, the Ju- of, of Judaism, as I've interpreted it. So the Old Testament state of Jerusalem and its laws are going to be dissolved. It is clear what sort of people you should be in holy conduct and godliness as you wait for the day of God and hasten his coming. Or as you wait for the day of God, as alternate manuscripts say. And the day of God is the judgment on Jerusalem. Because of that day, the heavens will be dissolved with fire and the elements will melt with heat. But based on his promise, we wait for new heavens and a new earth where righteousness dwells. Therefore, dear friends, while you wait for these things, make every effort to be found without spot or blemish. So you see, the immediate context is a lot about eschatology, but it's also about holy conduct and godliness and being found without spot or blemish. So then the Study Bible picks up on those exhortations to holy living and saying that's what Paul speaks about in all of his letters in which there are some matters that are hard to understand. Well, I don't think that the NIV Study Bible is correct in this suggestion because instructions to holy living are not hard to understand. The other option about concerning the things that Paul writes about in his letters, which are hard to understand, is eschatological things. John Gill, Adam Clark, Jameson Foster, and Brown all agree with me on this. And what eschatological things did Peter talk about? Well, the day of the Lord, new heavens and new earth. The elements being burnt up. Paul has written about eschatological things too. First Thessalonians 4.15 For we say this to you by revelation from the Lord. We who are still alive at the Lord's coming will certainly have no advantage over those who have fallen asleep. And that particular passage is returned to the end of the time coming, not the judgment coming in AD 70. First Corinthians 15.44 The body is sown a natural body, raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. So there you have resurrection stuff. So Paul talks about eschatological things, difficult to understand. Peter's talked about eschatological things, also difficult to understand. And it doesn't say that all of Paul's letters are difficult to understand. It says, Peter says, some matters are hard to understand. Now, Jameson, Fawcett, and Brown has found a quote from Augustine that's very interesting about this. Here's the quote, there is scarce anything drawn from the obscure places, but the same in other places may be found most plain. Now, this is just an old statement of, of that old principle of hermeneutics, that old principle of interpretation that you use the easy places to interpret the hard places. And that's exactly what Augustine said, is saying here. He's saying if you find a hard place in Paul that you don't understand, 
you can go to an easier place and understand that and then go back and interpret the hard place. And I have found that to be very, very true. I think anybody that studies the scripture will find that true. Now, notice that Peter refers to all Paul's letters. He speaks about these things in all his letters. All of his letters, Paul's letters were common property of the church at this time. Peter's writing in the 60s, mid, mid to late 60s. The letters were written from, Paul's letters were written from about 40 to 60 or so. And by that time, the church had all had complete access to his letters. Now, Peter says the untaught and unstable twist Paul's scriptures to their own destruction. Now, who are these untaught and unstable people? Well, it could just be someone ignorant of the apostles' teaching, as the NIV Study Bible says, like a baby Christian who hasn't been taught yet. Or it could be an unbeliever who hasn't had the Holy Spirit at all yet. Jameson Fawcett Brown suggests that. So we don't know exactly who this are, are who this, these unstable people are. I just assume it was the heretics Peter had been denouncing. They're more likely to maliciously twist the scriptures, whereas opposed to unlearned and ignorant might just understand them in good faith, but just not having been taught properly might twist the scriptures. I think he's talking about heretics here, twist the scriptures to their own destruction. And notice that twisting of the scriptures. They take the scripture and they make it sound plausible. They say, okay, this is what it says. And instead of directly contradicting the scripture, they just change the aspect of it a little bit, change the context, change the meaning of a word here or there, and twist the scripture. That's why you need to compare scripture with scripture. And pray like crazy when you're trying to understand the Bible. Here's an example of how the unlearned and unstable twist Paul's scripture. Romans 3.8 And why not say, just as some people slanderously claim we say, let us do what is evil so that good may come. Well, they're distorting Paul's message of grace, these people. Paul says, hey, Jesus will forgive any sin. And so they say, well, good, let's just go out and sin some more so we can get more forgiveness, more grace which, of course, is nonsense, but they were twisting the scriptures to their own destruction because if they did that, they would be judged for their sin. Now, notice this little phrase, rest, as they, the unstable, also do twist the scriptures, as they also do with the rest of the scriptures. Now, that's, those scriptures there could be the Old Testament scriptures, but what Peter is referring to here is they also do with the rest of the scriptures. He's talking about Paul's letters are some scriptures, and the rest of the scriptures, the unstable and unlearned, do the same thing with. So he's assuming that Paul's letters are scriptures. And that's why these people that say, well, you know, I can believe Jesus, but it's just Paul's opinion, as one lady did in the Bible study I was doing in China one time. I almost had a heart attack when I heard it. No. If Jesus sins, we believe. If you believe Jesus, you believe the one he sent in John 13, that famous scripture there. So... Paul's writings are classed with all the other scriptures. Now, what the other scriptures are could be just the Old Testament scriptures, or it could be the other letters of the apostles, such as Peter's own letters. doesn't really say. doesn't matter. The point here is, is that scriptures, which are holy writings delivered by God to his servants, the prophets and the apostles, they're scriptures, and you ought not to twist them. You ought to expound them and get them out to the people. Notice if you don't handle the scriptures rightly. The unstable twist them how? To their own destruction. What a heavy word that is. Not just that they're misled for a little while, but they're destroyed. That's why I think there's malicious intent behind it. And if you're a baby God, I have grace on a baby Christian trying to understand the scriptures as his perception gets more and more focused and his understanding becomes clearer and clearer. 
He's going to have grace for that. But more when you're out there deliberately twisting the scriptures, ooh boy, that's not a good thing to do. The term scriptures appears about 50 times in the Bible, in the scriptures, according to Jameson, Fawcett, and Brown. It always refers either to Old Testament or New Testament sacred writings. Here, I'm not sure how Peter's using it, Old Testament scriptures only or Old Testament and New Testament scriptures, but they are sacred writings. They're to be respected, studied, memorized, meditated, discussed, but not twisted. We go now to verses 17 and 18, 2 Peter 3. Therefore, dear friends, since you know this in advance, be on your guard so that you are not led away by the error of lawless people and fall from your own stability. But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. That's why I call this section Exhortations to, st to Stability because Peter is saying, look, don't fall from your stability. Stability is a good thing, folks. Stability is not boring. Stability is safety and security. What's that old Yidd Yiddish proverb? May God deliver us from excitement. <laughs> I forgot how the proverb goes, but you know what I mean. My dear friends, since you know this in advance, know what in advance that false teachers are coming, as the NIV Study Bible says. For example, in Second Peter 3, 3, same chapter. Above all, be aware of this. Scoffers will come in the last days, scoffing and following their own evil desires. Verse 17, since you know this in advance. Now, Peter's readers were forewarned by apostles and prophets that these scoffers were coming, because the previous verse, it says, in Second Peter 3, 2, so that you recall the words previously spoken by the holy prophets in the command of our Lord and Savior given through your apostles. What words that were given through the Old Testament prophets and the New Testament apostles? What word? Verse 3, Second Peter 3. This is the word. Scoffers will come in the last day scoffing and following their own evil desires. So the scriptures constantly exhort against doctrinal deviancy because it is a problem that just goes on and on in the church. Are you listening, Joel Osteen? Now, here are some specific examples of words previously spoken by the holy apostles that warned against this doctrinal deviancy, this error of lawless people that would seduce the readers to fall from their own stability. Jude 1.18 says, They told you in the end times there will be scoffers walking according to their own ungodly desires. 1 Timothy 4.1 Now, the Spirit explicitly says that in later times some will depart from the faith paying attention to deceitful spirits and the teachings of demons. 1 John 2.18 Children, it is the last hour, and as you have heard, Antichrist is coming. Even now, many Antichrists have come. We know from this that it is the last hour. So Peter's readers have been warned, and he's adding to that warning. Doctrinal deviancy, which will knock you from your position of stability, is not a good thing. But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Peter finishes up his letter by stressing knowledge. He's mentioned it several times going through this book. He stresses knowledge, as the NIV Study Bible points out. Why? To oppose the Gnostic heretics who were focused on a different kind of knowledge, esoteric knowledge, knowledge that only the Gnostic gurus could impart, the knowledge of secret passwords and secret sayings that would get the Gnostics through the hierarchy of angels up to the light. But Peter is talking about the knowledge of Jesus Christ, which, of course, is a personal knowledge, a relationship knowledge, the knowledge of your adopted brother and you, the knowledge of the one who created you and who came into your life and made you born again. You can grow in that, Peter says, verse 18, grow in the grace, unmerited favor that he's given you. Grow in it. He's given it to you. He's laid it out there for you. How about go get it? Don't sit back and stagnate, but increase in your knowledge of the Lord. 
To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Glory forever and ever and ever. And he shall reign forever and ever and ever. Amen. Peter finishes off his letter. So ladies and gentlemen, we've now finished 2 Peter 3. In our next audio, I'll take up 1 John, starting in chapter 1, of course. And I hope to see you then. And I hope you enjoyed this audio.